I've always thought that one of my um, strengths, I hoped one of my strengths was a, was a tolerance for ambiguity so that we could gather more information and gather more voices before making a decision, you know, not, not needing to be kind of quick, firm decisions, but, but really a, more information to optimize the decision. Um, one of the things I learned in the last year, particularly last spring and summer, was that wasn't a great way to proceed. <laughs> um, people needed some answers, even if they weren't the right answers. You know, are you going to be in person or not? What are we going to do with the residence halls? What do, what are faculty need to do to get their courses ready? I mean, welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is the podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders to help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. You're about to watch another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom, which for those of you who are at home, if you have not seen this before, these are weekly episodes where we conduct an interview with a sitting college president or chancellor, and we want to talk to them about how they're navigating the challenge of this moment. We're in a really unique time and we want to focus on their leadership and unpack how they are making decisions, how they are navigating, and hopefully it will leave you with a sense of optimism, a bit inspired and give you a bit of hope. This week, we're welcoming Mary Marcy, who is uh, retiring this summer after 10 years as president of Dominican University of California. Um, prior to beginning her, her leadership at, at, uh, in 2011 at Dominican, she was provost at Bard College uh, uh, and oversaw Bard's, uh, had a role in Bard's campus, right, at uh, Simon's Rock. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, she's worked at a, of a range of public and private institutions, and um, we're glad she's here. Welcome. Thank you. I, the, the weekly wisdom part is a little bit intimidating when you come on as president, but then you see that you two are hosting and it's like, we'll be fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make anything seem like wisdom. <laughs> there you go. Um, anyway, so we're really excited that you can make this time with us. Uh, I was first introduced to you. I think we were in part of some kind of a virtual Zoom happy hour. And I, I noticed that you were saying very smart things. And so I said, oh, we got to get her on the show. So delighted <laughs> that you can make the time. Um, we typically start by just trying to get a sense of kind of what's it like in your world right now. So just how are you holding up right now? Yeah, you know, this is the, the last week of the semester for us, and uh, which means last week of the academic year. And what, something like 16, 18 months of, of being mostly virtual. Um, you will see behind me the uh, stairs leading up to our third floor. Uh, when we started this, I was in our lots of people. I was, you know, Zooming from the dining room table and eventually the I got banished uh, to the third floor when it looked like this is going to go on for a while. Uh, and uh, this has become my, you know, my, my new office. And uh, I know every place has been different this year. Uh, we've stayed virtual all year long and uh, actually had one of the more emotional experiences I've had as a college president last week, a very cool experience where we had, because we knew we were going to be virtual through the year and we knew the graduation was going to be virtual again. We had a, a drive-through celebration of our graduates. So because almost everybody's vaccinated now for at least the adults, uh, the uh, faculty and staff on campus, um, we all got our regalia on, uh, we masked up and we lined Acacia Avenue, which is the main avenue coming through campus. And students had to stay in their cars, in their, in their bubble, whatever they wanted to define that as. Um, but then they came through slowly, one at a time. We gave them swag, we gave them roses, uh, we gave them honors. Uh, mostly we cheered a heck of a lot. And, uh, you know, and you can imagine when you say stay in your, you just have to stay in your car in your bubble. We had some cars that were a little clown car-like in terms of the number of people in there. Um, we had dogs, we had people coming out the roofs. 
Um, it was great. And, and I think the, the power of being back together as community for the faculty and staff was enormous. And then seeing our students and celebrating our students and when they weren't sure they were going to have that was, was really special. So that's our, what our end of year is kind of looking like this year. We, I think we're going to have a really interactive virtual commencement, but it's still virtual. Um, that was kind of a, a, an additional piece to share with them. And now, of course, they want to do it that way. They want to do that every year in addition to the big tent and the speakers. So uh, thinking about uh, this is your commencement as well. Um, and I'm curious how you how are you feeling about that? What, what, what's, what's going through your head and, and sort of how do, what kind of reflecting does that have you doing on your time as, uh, at Dominican? And I, I'm sort of guessing that maybe you're done with college presidencies. I don't want to uh, speak, you know, assume anything necessarily, but how you're thinking about sort of the, uh, your time as a campus leader. Yeah, it's a really bittersweet time. It's really powerful actually. So thank you for, thank you for asking. Um, I, I suspect I am done with the presidency as well. I, I don't know for sure, but I've, I've said that, you know, not all presidential years are dog years, but some are, some are pretty doggish in terms of the, you know, the time and energy that it takes. And this year was one of those. Um, I, I'm going to uh, be the president residence at Harvard next year at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and do some work there and reflect. And I think one of the things that has happened this year because it's a pandemic year uh, which is good and bad is the the good is my learning curve, my relationship and reliance on the board, the team, the community has really strengthened. Um, the learning curve has grown, you know, enormously because of everything we need to do. At the same time, some of the things that you kind of would normally happen at the end of a presidency in terms of time to reflect, um, you know, the, the swan song part has not happened nearly as much. Um, so I'm hoping to make a little space for that uh, once we get through the next a uh, month and a half, basically. But I, it's still, you know, it's still a pretty intense time and we still don't know exactly what things are going to look like next fall. And so there's, there's a, still a lot of uncertainty. Um, what we're certain about is our mission. What we're certain about is, is, you know, the kind of basic ways in which we're going forward. And we've, I would say the biggest thing um, this year, which has been really satisfying is, is simply that we, the, the timing of this was not contingent on the pandemic. It was kind of in sequence for a while. We completed our strategic plan this year. Our strategic plan was called Dominican at 130. Uh, Dominican turned 130 this year. And so it's really a natural arc to my career. And it's been satisfying to see, not in how we expected with the strategic plan, how it's helped, right? So we thought that this was um, going to help in very particular ways in, in propelling the institute forward. I think it is going to do that. But the fact that the plan was almost complete when the pandemic started has actually been really essential to our ability to get through it without furloughs and layoffs and in relatively good shape. I'm curious about, so you have led for quite some time, you have a, a breadth and depth of experience. And I'm just wondering how your leadership has changed for you personally. And, and granted, I'm also hearing you that you haven't been able to fully process, but I'm just wondering like, at some point you perhaps might have reflected on that, you know, if, if the pandemic had happened 15 years ago, how would you as a president have handled things differently than you did now? Is that, is that a place where you can see some growth in your leadership and what, what is that growth? It's a great way to think about it, Bridget. I, I would say, um, oddly enough, one of the biggest changes was 
the, the, when the pandemic hit, I had been in leading campuses long enough that I was able to change, if that makes sense. So yeah, the, there are things that I really understand about myself. For example, I'll give you a very specific example. Um, I've always thought that one of my um, strengths, I hope one of my strengths was a, was a tolerance for ambiguity so that we could gather more information and gather more voices before making a decision. You know, not, not needing to be kind of quick, firm decisions, but, but really a, more information to optimize a decision. Um, one of the things I learned in the last year, particularly last spring and summer, was that wasn't a great way to proceed. <laughs> um, people needed some answers, even if they weren't the right answers. You know, are you going to be in person or not? What are we going to do with the residence halls? What do, what are faculty need to do to get their courses ready? I mean, all of a sudden, that model that had been, you know, I thought very helpful at, at bringing people together and optimizing decisions became not optimal. So, in a strange way. I'm not sure I would have been comfortable um, shifting to more um, to making decisions in what I've described as kind of a 5149 environment. I wasn't comfortable this year, but I knew I needed to do it. I, I, I'm not sure. I think I might have stalled out a little bit more um, a few years earlier in my career with that. It's it's really interesting. I guess there's a there are a lot of people, particularly from outside higher education, who think higher education is too committee driven to uh, to governance driven, et cetera, and have sort of looked to the the ways institutions acted during the pandemic and said, see, you can do it and it can work. And that certainly, as you just said, was true and probably was necessary. Do you think that that either should be or is or should be a more permanent approach or or do you think that there's a maybe a middle ground where we're likely to land? Uh, yeah, I I don't think the ways in which we made decisions in the you know particularly at the onset of the pandemic are a model for how how we'll do them going forward. And, and you know, when you're when you make decisions at the kind of proverbial point of a gun, uh, that's a little different than the the culture of higher education um, and the culture of shared governance. So. Yeah, we do have a lot of <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot of systems. Um, I've always been more focused on shared governance as practice rather than a structure, if that makes sense. So um, it seems like you can have. And I'm political scientist, so I get too nerdy about this sometimes. But you can have the perfect laws, right? You can have the perfect system or structure. It's what people. It doesn't matter. It's what people bring to the table within that system. So it does. It well, it does matter. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. It's not sufficient. Um, and so what I look at when I think about shared governance and change management is how we communicate within those systems. Um, you can get bogged down in too many processes and too many committees. You can make decisions too fast. So, you know, the question of shared governance is how do you lead a conversation within that space? So it's moving forward enough to have momentum forward enough to lead to something, but not moving so fast that people are left behind or voices aren't heard. And voices being heard is different than everybody agreeing. Um, so what I think in that sense, the idea that, well, higher ed can just be nimble now um, was a little bit, um, and it, it wasn't quite accurate. And I, I do think we can be nimble when we need to be. But the notion of, um, gosh, we changed and that was great. I don't buy, you know, I just because we all went online last last spring doesn't mean we did it well. <laughs> you know, we did it because we had to. 
Um, we got better this year for those of us who stayed virtual because we put a ton of professional development into it. Um, we spent all summer trying to get our systems in place so that, and, and we put a lot of energy into making sure students had the supports they need so they could access it. Um, so if I think about positive learnings from the pandemic, I think that for us at least, you know, we're absolutely focused on student success. That's, I mean, we have no question about what our mission is, right? And that means that we also need to be focused on faculty and staff success and letting everybody um, work within an environment that allows them to be effective. So one of the big learnings last year was that we took all of the energy that we had and shifted it to faculty and staff development and student access to technology, student access to systems. Uh, and that's, you know, that is a takeaway. Um, I, it doesn't mean we weren't doing some of it before, but that that laser focus became very real very quickly. So I'm curious because you're going to be transitioning soon. Um, now, I know that typically there's like a hundred day plan being developed for the next president or, uh, and often I find that those are written by the foundation. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering if you're leaving any guidance or instruction for them. And in particular, as you, you know, it's, it, maybe it's even just for yourself, as you think about the next six months uh, for your successor, what do you think is the most important thing for them to do or focus on for your institution to continue to thrive? I'll give you a, a, a shorter answer and a slightly longer answer. So the shorter answer is actually relationships, relationships, relationships. Uh, you know, at a campus like ours, 1,800 students, um, we accomplish things in by trusting each other, by um, building each other's strengths. And those relationships became so key in the last year. So as we come back to an in-person setting, as we come back to, and I know we'll do more things, we'll learn from the pandemic. I know we'll do things more virtually. We may have more hybrid options, work in classes both. But ultimately what's gonna make it work is not just those specific decisions. It's it's making those decisions in the community that we've developed. So that's the, the, the fairly short answer. Um, you know, the, the larger question about, you know, where Doug was talking about what are you reflecting and you're kind of talking about what's next. Um, I actually, it's my last, well, as long as the last commencement, uh, it's my last board meeting uh, coming up this week. And so I wrote a piece for the board um, that's kind of a, a reflections and what's next uh, piece. It's not terribly long, but it's, you know, into, through and coming out of the pandemic. And I think of it as, as like a, a runner that's uh, run a marathon or um, I'd say a horse that's just finished the Kentucky Derby, but that didn't go well today. So I, <laughs> but you have to, you know, after an intense experience like that, you kind of have to assess where you are. So the document was, you know, here's how we were positioned coming into the pandemic. Here's, you know, here's what um, kind of allowed us to um, be in a reasonably good place when we started. Here are the key choices that we made coming into, kind of going through it. And, and the biggest choices we made were having a, we had a task force of the board and senior leadership that communicated a lot with campus um, that said, uh, one-time losses are gonna be filled with one-time funds rather than through, you know, kind of annual deep, deep, deep cuts. And we took, I mean, we took a 15% budget cut this year. That's a big cut for a small institution that's not wealthy. Um, but we said, we're gonna focus on one-time losses, get one-time funds, 
and um, make sure that we maintain the, the continuity of the long-term vision health of the campus. And we're gonna protect jobs and we're not gonna furlough people um, unless we have to. And we, we made that clear. Um, those decisions that I think have positioned the institution going to the next step to say, um, not that everything's always gonna stay exactly like that, but there's a, there's a value placed on, on institutional continuity, on student success, and that that's where we build from. Uh, in terms of the next big steps, then we have one of the things that allowed us to get through the make reasonably well is that we had implemented a lot of things around what we call the Dominican experience, which really improved uh, students' success and student perseverance um, I mean, dramatically. Um, at the same time, we have a lot of program innovation going on. And so if I look right now at our preliminary budget for next fall, we've got three or four new programs coming on. Uh, at the same time that we've got, um, you know, momentum around that Dominican experience. So I, I don't know what the new president does with that, but those are kind of the pieces that they're, they're inheriting a campus that's not saying, okay, we got that figured out, it's all good. You're inheriting a campus that has a spirit of innovation and um, some exciting new things that I think will, will help. When you think about sort of the moment we, and again, uh, anytime you're talking about higher education, it's silly to talk about a, a we, cause there's really so many we's within that. But, but I guess many institutions are emerging from this moment. Um, again, uh, probably given a, a, a pathway to, through the stimulus funds and other things to sort of get through probably a lot of places are in a lot better shape than they thought they would be in a year ago. Um, how they compare to two years ago probably varies, but probably not as good. But I guess, but, but I guess in terms of the moment you generally think of institutions being at, how do, what do you think about being a leader now of an institution or maybe about to become a leader? And what are the big needs for what are the big jobs of a president and a campus leader at this particular moment? Again, general thinking about maybe leaving out the places that are in terrible, terrible condition and, and in about to fail or whatever. And then the places at the, who are, have nothing to worry about the relatively small number of those, but everybody else in the middle, the, the really mm -hmm. vast middle, what do you think a president, what are the biggest demands and expectations and needs of a president in that moment? You know, I think um, the pandemic is, <laughs> it's a pretty big distraction, but it's been a distraction <laughs> from some fundamentals, right? Um, so I think the biggest change in the presidency in the last, I would say, decade or so is that stewardship is not sufficient for the mass majority of institutions. I think for a lot of institutions, stewardship was sufficient for a long time, not for every place, but I think the number of institutions that are can just say steady as it goes are pretty small now. Yeah. And so I think the biggest um, need for institutional leadership is effective change management and innovation, doing within this within the focus of the mission, uh, doing it um, over time, not you know looking for quick fixes and simple simple solutions. There really aren't that. There, uh, if there were, we'd all be doing them. We're pretty good copycats in higher ed, um, and and being really really clear about the um, 
the mission and the strengths and weaknesses of your own institution, right? Not getting caught up in how do I compare to someplace down the road or how, where do we rank news or whatever, but actually having great clarity about what you can do well so that you can do something with that and build it. Um, I think that, that one of the things that, that can happen in higher ed is that we, you know, we see something that works elsewhere and we think we'll just take it wholesale and implement it at our place. Um, or we did something that works great at another place, so we'll just bring it here. And I know there's a lot of similarities between institutions. I also know that the combination of cultures and um, faculty and staff strengths uh, differs every place. And it seems to me successful innovation comes from elevating that energy and those voices and um, and then and then following it. I One of the things that I have, have been asked many times, I think every president has asked this, and I, it's one of those questions that I was asked enough, I finally started thinking about what does that really mean? It's like, what's your vision or where did your vision come from? It's like, not a profit, don't have visions, right? <laughs> if I have visions, you should worry. Uh, but, the, but the vision for the institution comes from the institution. Now, it's different from saying this is, you know, our mission hasn't changed for 150 years and we're always going to be teach Latin as a spoken language. That's, it's, it's, what is this institution right now and how does it meet the moment? We know student demographics are changing, right? We know students um, are more diverse. We know there is a racial reckoning that we have to meet that moment. So then you take, you take the institutional strengths, the institutional challenges, and you have them interface with those issues. Um, that's a complex and really interesting task. And it's a conversation that I found is um, almost endlessly interesting on campuses because people want to engage those issues. Um, if you can find what people have in common on campus rather than what separates them, you can have an interesting discussion. That's great. Um, I want to see if we can uh, land the plane on a couple rapid fire questions. Um, and the first was, so the questions I'm thinking about are uh, the best advice that you've received personally that has served you in your career from someone else. Um, the second would be the advice that you most frequently give to people who are interested in the presidency. Um, but lastly, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting over in your presidency? So just giving you a preview, um, but I'm just wondering <laughs> what has been the best advice that you have ever received in your career? Uh, it's really trite, but it's really true. Um, this too shall pass. <laughs> I, there, there's such intensity, uh, such intensity around certain decisions, certain conversations. And um, I think it's really easy to get bogged down in that and get bogged down in the day to day. So looking looking for the long haul, not, not that it's all the good things pass too, actually. Um, so keeping an eye on the, on the, uh, the long haul uh, is actually taking the long view. I actually wrote a piece about the long view a while back because it seems so important to me. So that would be the other, the flip side, the happier side of it is take the long view. And what is the advice that you, if I'm, um, I'm now you're, especially as you go to Harvard, you're in this position of giving advice to people who are aspiring to the presidency, thinking about the presidency or who are about to start. And what do you tell them um, different? Other than that piece of advice, what advice do you give them most frequently? Um, two things. The first is you have to feel really good about the job, the place, and your fit, um, because all of that energy that comes with being announced, uh, getting the job, having inauguration, goes away. And just like we wear, you know, we wear our regalia once or twice a year, and it's really flashy, um, but we don't wear it every day. The trappings that go with the presidency are not the daily part of it, and 
So you need to have something that, that you really believe in, care about and feel good about to be effective at it. So make sure you love the place. Don't just want the job. Um, you know, make sure that it's the right fit for you. Then you feel like you can make a difference. The second thing I tell people to do, and you know, Bridget, you and I talked a little bit about books. Um, there are several really good books out there. Um, one of the ones that I, I've used a lot and actually had my cabinet read when I started here is um, Susan Pierce's On Being Presidential, because it, it, it talks about the presidency in, in really, um, I think, in very thoughtful ways. So the last question then is, um, what advice would you give yourself if you were starting over as a baby president um, coming in, what would you, and it could be back when you're starting at Bard, um, in this kind of a leadership role, what do you wish that you knew then that you know now? I think I would, would emphasize something I knew but didn't trust, which is that um, successful leadership is as much about compassion and listening and relationship as it is about grand, bold ideas. And it's great if you can have both. It's great if you've got a team that helps helps you uh, build both. Uh, but I think that especially new presidents um, often want, and I certainly was among them, you want to have those big victories, right? Uh, you, want to, you want to come in and have some great big uh, success that's, that's highly visible and um, and, and sometimes you can, and it's great. You know, the, the, the big gift that comes in the first year or um, some kind of, of partnership or initiative that gets lots of attention. But actually, those are not the things that, that sustain over time either. Um, and what sustains over time is a combination of great ideas and energy and relationships and compassion. All right. Well, um, thank you so much. And I don't know, Doug, if you had anything else, but otherwise, we um, I feel like we're all... I feel like I'm going to integrate that perspective now in the rest of my week. Um, I think that's great advice to end with. So thank you so much for spending this time with us today. We've really appreciated you imparting your wisdom um, and for your leadership. So um, really uh, look forward to hearing if anything changes over the next month in terms of even further chance for you to reflect and, and advice to, to offer. Um, next week, we'll be speaking with Mark Becker, the president of Georgia State University, who is also about to retire. So getting a bit more of this kind of retrospective perspective and um, hearing about how folks are, are looking at things as they're you know in their last, um, last few months. So thanks so much for being here today and we will see you next week. Take care, Mary. Thanks, great to talk to you. Bridget. Both.